We got some storms coming. We ain't got a storm in here right now, so we'll just praise the Lord. And if it did rain in here, we'd praise Him anyways, all right? That's just what we do. Uh, a couple quick things. Uh, right after morning service, we do have the care portal training for those who sign up for the ministry. Uh, there will be training session uh, and lunch um, right in the fellowship hall in the little Sunday school room there. We'll have lunch for you. Grab lunch, and we'll go in and we'll get trained up. Hopefully, it'll take about an hour, hour and a half at most. Um, then we'll get you out of here. Uh, no service tonight. We want to try to do once a month where we send you guys home. want to encourage you guys as a family uh, to do these devotions together. And uh, I've gotten a little bit of feedback from some folks, so I at least know a, a handful of you are doing them. But I encourage you, like with anything in the church or anything in the Christian life, you won't get nothing from it if you don't do it. All right? Uh, but nevertheless, that's there with you. I encourage you guys to get with your family tonight and spend some time with the Lord together. Uh, a reminder as well, September 8th and 9th is the Character Under Construction training that Friday evening and Saturday. The details are right here. Now, this does not mean that you have to be on the schedule every single week and, and mean that the mini that ministry is going to own your schedule or time, but rather what it means is that you're interested in learning about it, interested in perhaps helping out even just a little bit, maybe once a month. Uh, but if you're interested in helping, please make sure, you, sure that you sign your name up on the back so we can uh, plan and prepare uh, for that training, all right? Uh, so make sure you do that as well. Um, we've got a fifth Friday Family Fun Fling Ding coming up next month, September 29th, 6 o'clock. So we'll have fun, fun, fun till we're done, done, done. We'll have a great time. As well, a few reminders. Ladies retreat. Uh, there will be a short meeting this morning following the service. And for those ladies that are in the care portal meeting as well, go to the retreat meeting first. All right. You got my permission. And uh, then you come over and then, then you can eat and we can eat together and, and uh, get your training. Okay. But make sure you go to that meeting. Uh, and as well, for those who have not paid in full, all deposits are now due. Remaining funds are due no later than September 3rd. So please keep that in mind. Uh, senior sight and sound trip deposits of 100 are due today. Balance of 100 will be due October 22nd. And then as well, we've got some signed up in the back already, so that's good to see. Uh, church membership class, those that are interested and in wanting to be a new member of the church here at Victory Way, uh, please put your name down on the membership class. Uh, hopefully it'll be starting uh, towards the end of September. I know I've got the one tentative date down there. It just depends on how fast I can finish up First Thessalonians. And if you come to Sunday school, you know that'll probably be at the end of September now. So probably back it up a week or so. But nevertheless, uh, that'll be during then. But if you're interested, put your name down and I'll get with you uh, as soon as uh, we've got all the details. Then as well, the Living in Spite of Conference. Want to encourage you, go ahead and register now online so we can make better uh, preparations and plans uh, for food, for supplies and different things like that as well as there are still uh, postcard invites for folks in the back. I encourage you, if you know somebody in your life, friends, family, neighbor, loved one, that is struggling and hurting, this is the thing to bring them to. I promise you, uh, if you come and you come with an open heart, you will receive some help from the Lord. Uh, a lot of work and a lot of times being put into this. And if you want to be a part of helping out with it, we'll have a sign-up sheet for some needs as we get closer. Uh, but as well, if you want to help out with some of the cost of putting this conference on, uh, it'll help cover advertising, uh, food, supplies, different things like that. You can give uh, by simply putting Living in Spite of Conference or Fall Conference, and we will make sure that it gets used accordingly uh, for all those things. I'm trying to think if there are any other announcements or if I have them all covered. I think that's it. Uh, don't forget as well, there is this coming up Friday, the Labor Day uh, weekend. Who's ready for the town to turn into a flea market? Yeah. How many of y'all are going to go down there like the other crazy people? Okay, that's right. You know why? Because you're from here. So we know we go around the bypass that, that weekend. Uh, anyways, uh, if you're able to help out, we still have a few slots available to help out for the you know, parking lot ministry. We'll help park people. Uh, we'll pray with each one that comes on the lot. 
give them gospel tracts and a bottle of water and a bag from Victory Way and just let them know that we care for them and get the gospel in their hands. Uh, but anyways, this morning, I want to give to us a couple of verses of Scripture uh, and then we'll pray and we're going to worship the Lord today, but I'm thankful that we are uh, able to gather today. Uh, the Bible tells us in Psalm 66, verse 5 through 7, Come and see the works of God. He is terrible in His doing toward the children of men. Let me first of all say terrible here does not mean awful, terrible, no good, and rotten, but rather terrible is the idea of mighty and vast, and even the idea of wonderful. It is so, God's works are so vast that we cannot number them. God does more in a millisecond than you'll ever do in a lifetime, right? God's works are terrible. They're great. They're mighty. He says they are ter- that He is terrible in His doing toward the children of men. He turned the sea into dry land. They went through the flood on foot. There did we rejoice in Him. He ruleth by His power forever. His eyes behold the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Selah means to reflect back on what we've just read. And what we've just read is that we serve a God who is above all things, holds all things, a God who sees the nations and they are a drop in a bucket compared to Him. Uh, we serve a God who allows us, because of His great works, to rejoice in Him. Today, the goal is this, to see the personal work of the Lord Jesus Christ and to rejoice in Him. That's why we're gathered together today. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him for help to do just that. Lord God, we come to you. We want to thank you for this time. We're grateful that we can gather and worship you today. I pray, Lord, that you would meet the needs of every heart and home today that's in this place. God, if there's one who does not know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that you would bring them to a place of repentance and faith. God, that you would bring them under great conviction, that they would see the clarity of the gospel, and that they would believe and they they would be born again. Pray for each believer here today, God. Uh, Lord, I know there's a multitude of issues and uh, there's there's a multitude of sins in our life. There's a multitude of problems and circumstances, God, that are out of our control. God, we pray that we would have the strength and the faith to come to you today, to give every care to your feet, to trust you, Lord, uh, to give them to your hands, to know that you hold us in your hands, that you hold us fast. God, I pray that you would stir within us as we sing, that you would unite us together as we sing, unite us together as we fellowship, and that we hear your word. And God, that you would do a great and mighty work in your church today. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time. We give it to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. And blessed be the name of the Lord. And good morning. Praise the Lord. I'm a little loud here. I got a paper mess right here I got to clean up first. Y'all bear with me. <laughs> oh, Lordy. Okay, we're about to get it straightened out here now. All right, if we're able, please stand, and we'll start our worship in the song area here uh, to the tune of hymn number 772, When We All Get to Heaven. I love this song. Because it talks about no more pain, no more sorrow when we get home. Amen. Looking forward to that. First Thessalonians 4.17 tells us, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we be ever, ever be with the Lord. Wherefore comfort one another with these words. Amen. We're going home one day, and I praise the Lord for it. When we all get to heaven, hallelujah. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing his mercy and his grace. 
time we sing that word shout, now you can go ahead and shout. It'll be all right. It ain't too undignified, okay? <laughs> Let us then be true and faithful, trusting, serving every day. Just one glimpse of Him in glory will the toys of life repay. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Onward to the prize before us, soon his beauty will behold. Soon the pearly gates will open, we shall tread the streets of gold. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Amen. Psalm 126.3 tells us, The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. And Psalm 75.1 tells us, Unto thee, O God, do we give thanks. Unto thee do we give thanks, for that thy name is near, thy wondrous works declare. This song reflects those two verses. Give thanks. Hymn number 170. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ His Son. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give because he's given Jesus Christ his son and now let the weak say I am strong let the poor say I am rich because of what the Lord of what the Lord has done for us. Give thanks. Amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Our next song is hymn number 786, Count Your Blessings. 
Ephesians 1.3 tells us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Our Christian life, I'd just like to say this, Lord laid it on my heart. Our Christian's life is not dependent on how many houses, cars, money, checking accounts, nice clothes to wear. That's not what the Christian life, that's what not the child of God needs to count on. We have so many blessings, spiritual blessings, and we need to be thankful for that. Even if we might not have all the worldly things that the, that the world offers, but we got Jesus Christ and we got salvation and we're going to that home when we all get to heaven and what a day of rejoicing that will be. And that's where our blessings are. So here we're going to sing 786. Count your blessings. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed When you are discouraged thinking all is lost Count your many blessings, name them one by one And it will surprise you what the Lord hath done Count your blessings, name them one by one Count your blessings, see what God hath done Count your blessings, name them one by one Count your many blessings, see what God hath done Are you ever burdened with a load of care? Does the cross seem heavy you were called to bear? Count your many blessings, every doubt will fly And you will be singing as the days go by Count your blessings, name them one by one Count your blessings, see what God hath done Count your blessings, name them one by one Count your many blessings, see what God hath done When you look at others with their lands and Think that Christ has promised you his wealth untold. Count your many blessings money cannot buy. Your reward in heaven or your home on high. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God had done. Count your blessings. Name them one by one Count your many blessings See what God hath done So amid the conflict Whether great or small Do not be discouraged God is over all Count your many blessings Angels will attend Help and comfort give you To your journey Count your blessings, name them one by one Count your blessings, see what God hath done Count 
your blessings name them one by one count your many blessings see what God hath done one of the greatest blessings we can have every day is his mercy he gives us a new day every day that ain't promised but he has today and we do need to thank him for his grace and his mercy all right now's our greeting time won't everybody do this right here watch me smile and say hello okay shake hands you can move around you can stay where you're at just make sure if you see a new person or a visitor make them feel welcome I believe we've had ample time to go around and shake a hand, say hello, and share a smile. And if we would, make our way back to our seats and have a seat. we got some special music now by Mr. Stephen Dalton. So, Brother Stephen, you come on.
to see Muhammad, he was still wrapped up in his great clothes. And then I journeyed to a garden where old Joseph left him lay, the precious lamb. God's own begotten, he was no longer in that grave. If you knew him like I know him, you wouldn't know that he's alive. And if you fail, out to help you, to pull you safe from death to life. Oh, friend, I too have stood where you stand. Could I trust in things unseen but just one step in his Stephen, great message, great song. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and I appreciate if you all would pray with me and bow our head and close our eyes. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for this day, another day, Lord, that you give us this side of eternity, and we praise you and thank you for that. And by your mercy and your grace, you give it to us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your saving grace and your mercy you give us, Lord, in your gospel the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we just thank you for the privilege and honor of being in your house. 
Lord, to assemble together, Lord, in Jesus' name, Lord, to worship you and sing praises to you and to hear the foolishness of the preaching of your word. And now we ask, Lord, that you would use our pastor, Lord, to preach your word, to proclaim your word to your sheep. Lord, help, help him to feed your sheep, Lord, here today, and help us to, Lord, not be stubborn sheep, but be uh, attentive and listening and uh, taking to heart, Lord, what you, the message you have for us through your messenger this morning. And if there be a soul in our midst, Lord, lost and without Christ, we, we pray that today would be the day of salvation. And we pray that every Christian here would, uh, Lord, if there's something they need in their life, they might uh, obtain it here today, uh, Lord, by you, Lord, by the fellowship of the saints and the preaching of your word. We pray, Lord, that your message go forth with power and uh, give our pastor liberty as he brings that message here today. And, Lord, help us to be careful and faithful to give you the praise, honor, and glory for everything accomplished here today and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, uh, our next song is Worthy is the Lamb. If you would please stand. Revelation 5.12 tells us, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Amen and amen. Worthy is the Lamb.
Thank you for the nail-pierced hands. Wash me in your cleansing flow. Now all I know, your forgiveness and embrace. Worthy is the Lamb seated on the throne. We crown you now with many crowns. You reign victorious. High and lifted up, Jesus, Son of God, the darling of heaven, crucified. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the people said. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now our pastor, Joe Bryant. What a great day of worship and uh, what wonderful songs to think about the blessing that we have in Christ and then uh, uh, Stephen's song to lead us to what Christ has done for us. That that he is resurrected, he's resurrected, but as we talked about, as we've just sung about just now, worthy is the Lamb. Well, why is he so worthy? Well, I want you to know he's worthy because he's God. He was there before the foundation of the earth. As a matter of fact, he spoke and created all things. He holds all things by his own hand. Then he put on flesh, he came to this world that rebelled against him, sinned against him, even rejected and hated him. He died the death uh, that, that we deserve. He died to pay the price for our sins he was there on the cross, and he willingly gave up his life for us. And he laid down his life, went into the grave. And as we've sung, as we see, his worthiness is the fact not only that he died for us, but that he rose again for us to show us that he is who he said he is, to show us that he has accomplished what he said he accomplished, that all who trust in his death, his burial, and his resurrection for the remission of sins shall be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. His worthiness is that God himself, he is mighty to save. He is the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. Take your Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. Ephesians chapter number 4. Uh, just to go ahead and let you know, we'll be in Ephesians 4 uh, the next, uh, next couple Sundays. Uh, we've been looking at the beauty of Christ's church. We've seen the beauty of the church's formation, the, the foundation of truth, and we've seen that it is the family of God that we looked at last week, especially on homecoming, how fitting. And now today, we're going to begin looking at what you and I see in the Bible that we often refer to the church as, and what God himself refers to the church as, and that is two things, the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. So in the next few weeks, we're going to look at what it means to be the part of the body of Christ. In Ephesians 4, specifically verses 1 through 16, we're going to see three things, but then we're going to focus in on just the first. We're going to see the making of the body, what it's made of, how God makes it together in union with Christ and with one another. That's the beauty. Today, you, uh, if you are saved today, you are not only united to Christ, you are united to one another. In Christ Jesus. We're going to see what that means for us today. But then uh, next week we'll look at the ministry of the body. We're going to see what the body is supposed to do and is enabled to do by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And even that we are enabled to do it by the unity that the Spirit of God gives to the church. Then we're going to see at the end of this portion of Scripture the, uh, the maturing of that body. Every body has to grow up, right? 
Some of us grow up real quick, right? Uh, some of us, not so much. We, we might grow up, but we don't really grow up, right? Now we think about that. There's a difference there. But the idea of maturing, not just merely as a body of growing up or getting bigger, but the idea of growing deeper in God, growing wiser and more faithful to the Lord, and all of these things. But I want to read to, for us today uh, verses 1 through 6, and we're going to see today the making of the body and this idea of unity, of how God has made us together to be united together. He says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Let us pray. Lord God, we come to you this day. We want to thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that we can gather. We can sing your praises. And Lord, you are worthy. Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb, your Son is worthy today. Help us, and Lord, according to your word, to see Christ today, that Christ would be lifted up and magnified and glorified. You know, Father, we pray that you would, uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit, open up our hearts and our minds to your word today. God, that your word would be fresh to us today, that we would see the need of unity today and what you've already accomplished and given to us in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help my heart, my mind, my tongue today. God, it would be you who preaches and teaches to your people. God, that you would give us what we need today. Lord, help me today to live and to own up to this and to lead in unity. And God, that we would see you and that we would see you uh, motivate and, and build your church together and unite us together in Christ. Lord, may we see all that you've given to us today according to your word in Jesus name. Amen. The church is called the body of Christ, but it is one singular body, a body that is joined together. Notice this, all right? Let's do a little bit. Any, any folks out there that are scientists or, or teach science? Anybody? Okay, good. Well, if you do, okay. Well, do you, well, we'll count it. We'll count Doug, all right? We'll count Doug. Well, no, I don't want to mess this up too bad today, all right? But I don't want to get too complex about anatomy. But let me ask you some simple questions today. Is your hand your hand? Yes. All right. It wasn't a trick question. I tried to try to maybe I started too simple. All right. Let's try this. Is your hand your hand? Yes. Is your hand your body? <laughs> I heard no. Yes. And part of it. It's part of your body. That's right. But it's not a body on its own, is it? It's just a hand. How about your foot? Right. How about that stinky old foot you got down there? What is that? Is that its own body? No, it's a stinky old foot. What is it a part of? The rest of your stinky old body. Amen. That's right. It's a part of the whole. We find that we've got a whole lot of digits, a whole lot of members, and yet it is one body. You are one person. On the count of three, I want everybody this morning to say their name out loud and proud this morning. One, two, three. Joe. Y'all said different names. I thought we were saying, okay, that's right. You did what you're supposed to do. You said your name. Now you know who you are, and you are one. There is one of you. Now, you might be like me and have a whole bunch of other people in the world named Joe, but I, I might not be your average Joe, but you're, we got a bunch of them out there. Nevertheless, you are you, and that's it. But you're a part of other things, aren't you? You are you, a single individual. And if you're saved today, you are a single individual Christian. You are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. But you are saved not merely to be a saved individual who's on their way to heaven, but to be a part of the saved body of Christ. You are saved not merely to not go to hell, but you are saved to something greater, to be grafted in and to be literally attached to something that is bigger than yourself, and that is the body of Christ. We, the church, 
are the body, but notice, we are not the head. Who is the head? Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Why? Because He's worthy. We've just sung about it. He is worthy. He is the head of the body of the church, the firstborn. We find that it is He who tells the body what to do. It is He who tells the body where to go. It is He who gives life to the body. Think about this. You can live without a hand, can't you? You can live without a foot. You can even live without a kidney. You can live without a lot of things, right? We got uh, 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 all sorts of stuff. Everyone, you got an appendix. I don't even know what it does or why it's there, but half of us don't even got it, right? You start off with it and just for it to get taken out. You can live without a lot of stuff. You know what you can't live without? This right here. Now, some of us try real hard. But you can't do it. You cannot live without that head. Your head will determine the rest of that body, and we find that Jesus Christ Himself is the head. We don't tell the body what to do. Jesus tells the body what to do. It is Jesus that holds the body together. Now, there are not multiple bodies of Christ. The local church makes visible the universal, the, the mystical, the spiritual body of Christ that is united to Christ and to one another. So you are not your own body, but a member of His body. We are the body and He is the head. And what we find is this. It has been written that the church is one. Few believers would respond to this succinct statement with anything but a resounding amen. However, in practice, does the church operate in a way that demonstrates the truth of this statement? Too often, the church is a house divided against itself. We've lost the beauty and loveliness that only comes when there is a real and abiding oneness. Everyone in here today would all say, and we could go ahead and do it this morning, right? Who here wants to be a part of a united church? Okay, well, that's pretty good. The rest of you either just aren't, aren't participating with the rest of us, or, or you just, well, I don't really care if we have one or not. It's fine. I kind of like some trouble every night. I don't know. That might be you. We all say we want united. Let's think about this. We all say phrases like this, if mama ain't happy... Look at that. Y'all were quick for that one. Y'all knew that one. Why? Because you want unity in your home. Why? Because you say, well, I live there. Our life is lived in the local church. Our life, our Christian life is to be lived not just merely for our body and our own individual self, but for the body of Christ, for the building and edifying of one another. You want to know why God desires to sanctify you? Not so that way you would be the only one that's set apart and go, man, that guy right there, he sure is doing real good. He sure is sanctified. But it's so that you would be sanctified so that you can help see that others would be sanctified. Everything in your Christian life is for the building up of the body. And what we find is that we are brought together, made by God, in union with Christ, in union with one another. Now, the church is most beautiful when she is united together, living out her position and belonging found in Christ. But you want to find a church that's ugly. It's not going to be the one that's got vines growing up on it. It's not going to be the one that's got shingles missing on the roof. It's not going to be the one that's got uh, 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 weeds growing in the gutters of the parking lot. I want you to know the church that is ugly is the church that can't stand one another. It's the church that is divided against one, uh, one in of itself. It's divided itself up. It's the, the ugliness of the church is found when we devour one another. That's an ugly church. Sometimes the ugliest church has the most beautiful building and the biggest budget. Sometimes the most beautiful church ain't got nothing. But the people are together, and that's what makes it beautiful. Today we're going to see what that means. 
how God works through a united body in church, but we see that the devil works through a divided body. I want you to know, just as much as God cares about us being in union with one another and in union with Christ, you can rest assured that the devil himself wants to make sure that you don't realize your union with Christ and realize your union with one another and divide you up and separates you one from another. Now, does this mean today, and let's go ahead and get this out of the way, you're not going to be best friends with everybody in the church. Shocker. You all knew that already, didn't you? However, you are still family and you are still a part of the same body. Therefore, do not devour one another. Do not gossip against one another, but rather edify and encourage and strengthen one another. Why? Because as much as you need the church, the church needs you. And as you'll see in the devotion tonight, every member matters and everyone has a part to play in this. And we are either right now actively creating and cultivating unity in Christ with one another, or we are actively dividing ourselves up. When you take yourself out of church, when you take yourself out of ministry, you're dividing the church because you're taking yourself as a member outside of the body. It makes no earthly sense. You know why? Because it makes no sense biblically or spiritually. When we are a part of the body, why would we cut ourselves up off from it? You want to know what's going to happen to your hand? You cut it off and you just leave it there? It will die. You know why it has life? Because it's attached to the rest of your body. So what happens, dear believer, when we separate ourselves from the body of Christ? we get in trouble. We start wasting away. Here's the issue. We've got to see that we already have a union. We already have unity. I want to go ahead and get this out of the way this morning and let you know that we are not here to try to create unity, but rather we are to live out of the unity that we already have. We're going to see that in just a moment. Christ has already purchased and made you united to Him and one another. In this, what we're going to see, first of all, is while we do not create unity, we need to cultivate it, though. You ever buy a plant from Lowe's or a garden center somewhere, or even just your garden? How about this? If you planted a garden this year, did you create the seeds yourself, or nor would you buy them? You probably bought them, or you saved them from your last crop, right? You put them back in. You didn't create it. Who did the creating? The Lord. But we do the cultivating, right? God's called has called you and me to be the gardeners of the body of Christ to make sure that we cultivate the unity that is already there in Christ Jesus. We can't create unity because it's already there. However, we must cultivate it by living in it and choosing to live in the spirit of bond and peace. We'll look at that in just a moment. Dale Moody once said, I've never yet known the spirit of God to work where the Lord's people were divided. And I haven't either. I believe this, dear church, and I want to encourage you before we go any further. The Lord has been at work at Victory Way for 50 plus years now. But I've seen the Lord at work over the past few months, the past few years of being here. And it's amazing to see what God does and what God desires to do. And I believe that we would see God do all the more in this church if we would be living in the unity that we have together in Christ if we would learn to cultivate unity instead of to devour and to cultivate division and to cultivate conflict, which we, our Baptists, are good at doing all those things, but to cultivate the unity that is in Christ Jesus. So look at that. First of all, verses 1 through 3 today, we're going to see the cultivating of unity, and then in verses 4 to 6, we're going to consider our unity, and we're going to see exactly what we have unity in. It's going to give us the fundamentals. It's going to give us our confession of faith here in these verses 4 to 6. It's going to show us Uh, the main thing that is the main thing. It's going to show all those things that unite us together. This is what you stand on. This is the prerequisite. This is the bare minimum. Outside of this, if you don't line up with these 
one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, then we're not a part of that same body. These are bare minimum fundamentals, and it's the belief and trust in these things that do unite us together. This is the bedrock that forms the church, specifically the making and the forming of the body of Christ. Verses 1-3, through Paul writes, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. Now I love this, you know why? Because Paul says I'm locked up in jail and I'm still as much a part of the body as anybody else. That means anybody that is saved, that is in jail today, is just as much a part of the body as anybody else. We, we find that this means that those who are saved but are wayward are so just as much a part of the body. It doesn't matter how far you go. It doesn't matter where you are physically. If you are in Christ, you are in Christ. You are a part of the body. But here's the thing. If you and I are a part of Christ and we are in Christ, we are saved, we have repented of our sins and trusted Jesus Christ, you will have a natural desire to be and live your life a part of the body of Christ. Now, how do we do that? You say, well, I can never worship with the believers that are over in China or, or in Korea or in Pakistan or in Africa somewhere. No, but you can do so with a local church right here because the local church makes the invisible church visible. It, it shows us what the church actually is and ought to be. Now, the first thing that we see here in cultivating of unity is this worthy walk that he talks about here in the first verse. And it's going to be one of private and public. We've talked a little bit about it in Sunday school. Your private Christian walk, yes, that is completely dependent upon what you do with Christ in your own time, in your own home, in your own family, in your own way, day by day. That is who you are when no one else is around. That is your personal walk with the Lord. You're either walking with the Lord and walking close to Him, or you are not. There is no in-between. You're either growing closer personally, individually to the Lord, or you are not. And you are as close to God today as you want to be. Right? God is not out there going, you know what, just get away from me. No. Matter of fact, He says the opposite. He says, come unto me. We will only, when we come unto Him, what we find by faith is that we draw near and near to the Lord. James talks about it, right? We need to draw nigh to God. He will draw nigh to us, right? Now, what else do we find here? Not just a private walk, but a public walk. Why? Because the Christian was never meant to just be saved and set off by himself. The Christian was saved to be a part of the body. The moment the Christian was saved, the moment the Christian trusted Christ, the moment the individual trusted Jesus as Savior, he was not merely saved and forgiven uh, of sins and given uh, a promise of heaven, but what else were we given? We were given a family. We were given a body to belong to. We were given a membership of a part of this body. We were given a purpose, role, responsibility, gifts, talents to add and to build up that body. We'll look more into that aspect of it next week. The personal walk of the Christian life is lived by faith in the riches of His grace, according to Ephesians 1.7. It is the personal practice of our purchased position and all of our possessions in Christ. I want you to look with me at Ephesians 1. We're just going to read through it here just to see what we have in Christ. Look at this. And granted, this morning, I can't look at every little detail of Ephesians 1. That's a whole different series for a whole different day. But look at all that we have in Christ. Blessed be the God and Father. We've got a God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. That means every blessing you've got in your life today is only found in Christ. Every good thing you've got going for you in your spiritual life, it is found in Christ. That means because all of our life is to be found in Christ. There's our union. According as He had chosen us in Him. Who's us? It is the church. It is the body of Christ. In Him before the foundation of the world. Notice that's the key. In Christ. 
Those who are a part of him, those are the ones that he knows. They are part of the body. They are part of his body. That, specifically for a purpose, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. I want you to know, there's nothing that is more pleasurable and pleasing to the Lord himself than the beauty of his church. His body working in union with Him and in union with one another. To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood. Have you seen anything that you've obtained in Christ yet? We've got bare minimum redemption through His blood, but then there's all this other stuff that we've already read about. We have the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, not by our works. He goes on and talks about that in chapter 2. Wherein? He hath abound toward us in our wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure which we have purposed in Himself. What is the mystery of His will? It is that we are to be found in Christ and be found in and a part of the body of Christ. That is God's will for your life. And to be outside of that is to be outside of God's will. There's no way around it. In whom we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to all the purpose of Him who worketh all things out of the counsel of His own will. It is God's will to use the church today. It is God's will to build the church. It is God's will that the church should be united today. That we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. In whom He also trusted. After that, you heard the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation. Look at all that we've been given. In whom also after that you believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. This passage just gets gooder and gooder with all the riches of His grace that you and I now have in Christ. Dear believer, we just sang it earlier, count your blessings. I want you to know you might be poor as can be according to this world's standards. But in Christ, you are rich beyond measure. You are rich beyond measure in Christ. Do not waste your spiritual wealth. We waste our spiritual wealth when we take ourselves outside of the church. We take ourselves, we, we, we waste our spiritual wealth when we do not live in union with Christ and with His people. We waste our spiritual wealth when we spend more time bickering than we do counting blessings. When we do more time finding the faults of the church than we do trying to build and edify and encourage the church. We waste our spiritual wealth. We find as well that we are called to live out in a practice our heavenly position in Christ. Look at all that we've seen here in Ephesians 1 that we have. Now our practice must match our position and possessions in Christ, but rather we need to see the reverse order of it. Because of our position in Christ, because of our possessions in Christ, our daily vocational walk with the Lord should look like as follows here in chapter 4. Now the public walk of the Christian life is always to be walking, living, and abiding in unity within the body of Christ as a worthy member of Christ. He says, I therefore the prisoner Lord beseech you. He's begging, he's imploring that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. There's some pastors that aren't worthy. Matter of fact, none of us pastors are worthy. There's some church members that aren't worthy. There's a, all of us, we find ourselves not worthy of anything, but this is the, the riches of God's grace that has saved us and cleansed us and redeemed us and has united us together in Christ and with one another. But what we find is that yet we are still called to walk worthy of who we are in Christ and what we have in Him. And the only way that you will ever do so is the same way that Hebrews tells us, it is by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. 
we find that as we live out our life of faith personally, privately, we are able to live it out publicly in the local body of Christ. He says, you walk worthy of the vocation with you're called. When we see that word vocation, we normally think of a job. So yes, first and foremost, whatever job you have today, you should walk worthy of the Lord in that job. God has called you to that job. He has provided that job for you. So therefore, do it under the glory of God and do it for the gospel of Christ. Nevertheless, we find as well that this is something bigger. You see, yes, you have a responsibility to your personal walk. But you are as equally responsible to the body of Christ. The issue of membership today is that we think membership means I want to join a church. So I raise my hand and say, hey, we want to join church. Okay. Walk down the aisle. Okay, hey, here's so-and-so and so-and-so. They want to join the church. Who wants them to join church? Well, everybody wants more church members. Every church wants to say we, we grow and we got members. We're adding members. So we join them. And the next week they're gone. Or the next week they're going, hey, I think I ought to teach a Sunday school class. So you know what? All right, well, they seem mature. We'll give them a Sunday school class. And the next thing they know, they're teaching some sort of heresy. We're like, what in the world is going on? But guess what? Now they're a member. Now we've got to deal with that. There's a reason why we do membership classes. Why? Because one, we want to make sure that you are in Christ. Two, we want to make sure that you are wanting to actually be a part of what this body is and strives to be and stands for. You actually want to be yoked up and unified with us. With this, our responsibility is beyond our own Christian life. Our Christian life makes up the life of the church. The life of the church is dependent upon your personal walk with the Lord. I want you to know, I walk better when you walk better. You walk better when I walk better. And now look around at each other. Go ahead and do it. Y'all aren't doing it yet. I can see you up here. <laughs> look around at each other. Now I want you to say this. You walk better when I walk better. I walk better when you walk better. Y'all see the whole process here? We need each other. And I want you to know, as the church life and the life of Victory Way Baptist Church goes, it will go only as far as you and I go as individuals. And as far as you and I go with Christ, as far as you and I go in Christ, as far as you and I go together in Christ, you cannot say that you want the church life to be unified and wonderful and reaching out if you're not here. You don't mean it. What we see is that Christ has called us to a bigger body, a bigger family, and He wants to use you and 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 all the way, everyone here today, and even the ones that aren't here today, He wants to use them too to build up His body here. Not to make a kingdom called Victory Way Baptist Church sitting up here on the hill in Hillsville, but rather to build up His kingdom through using this local body to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. We find as well about the body, this public life that we all live, we see that our Christian personal walk is lived in light and life of the church. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. I'll back up to verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. Notice that. Fellow citizens with the saints. There is no citizen of heaven in here that is higher than anybody else. There is no son or daughter of God in this room this morning that is greater or lesser than anybody else. We are in Christ together. So if you think you're better, you're not. And if you think you're worse, you are not. You matter just as much today 
He says, and you are built up upon the foundation of the apostles, the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together, going into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom he also built it together for inhabitation of God through the Spirit. We're going to get into that. What else does he say? In chapter 3, verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. That's your personal walk. That's what God desires to do for you personally today, dear believer. He desires to strengthen you inwardly. Why? So that you would live outwardly for him and in the body of Christ. He says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints. Notice that phrase again, with all the saints. What is the breadth, the length, the depth, and height? And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. God desires to fill His body. And then we get this praise, and we've got to read this too. Now unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, including, Lord, make us united. Lord, make us a body effective for You in this town. Lord, give us souls. Lord, give us volunteers. Lord, give us a heart. Lord, give us love. He's able to do all that and then some. According to the power that worketh in us, unto Him be glory in the church. By Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. The beauty of Christ is not only that He has saved you, but the beauty of Christ in His church is the fact that He has saved you to be a part of His body united together. Our vocational calling is not only to our own sanctification, but the sanctifying of the body through the uniting ourselves to the church. Now, how do we cultivate this unity? He tells us in verses 2 and 3. <clears throat> First of all, y'all still with me? All right. He says, we understand this, that we don't create unity, as we talked about, in the church because it is already something that is present. We've seen this already in chapter 1, 2, and 3 thus far in Ephesians. Furthermore, we see that it is our possession that we have unity. It is our position that we are united in Christ and with one another. But notice this. God has granted us unity, not uniformity. Let me repeat that, and then I'll explain it, because you're looking at me like you have no idea what I'm talking about. God has given us unity, not uniformity. Here's the difference. Unity means we can agree on what we're about to read in verses 4 through 6, but have some variance on some stuff outside of verses 4 through 6, and still be a part of the same body. Why? Because that's unity. Uniformity is this. Matter of fact, you've heard uni uniformity preached. Bless God, when you come here, you ought to have on that suit, you ought to have on that dress. We're coming here to honor our Lord. You're going to dress right, talk right, act right, think right, and all those things are only right as long as they matter to the guy right up here. That ain't right. This ain't my church. This is Christ's church. It's not my ideas or my mentality or my thoughts, my opinions. It is Christ. He is the head of the body. The church. What we find is God has not called us to all think the same, act the same, dress the same, talk the same. He's called us to unity. That means as you look around at the same ones that you said, I walk better as you walk better and you walk better as I walk better, right? All that stuff, right? That means that in here today, you've got a unity in Christ with one another and not a uniformity. 
So be who you are to the glory of God. And know that God desires to use you in this place as you are. Why? Because He does an inner work in your inner man to change who you are inwardly to outwardly. Religion will do the exact opposite. And a man who's building his own kingdom will do the exact opposite. We're not here to build our own kingdom. We are here to be a united body of Christ. There is room for disagreement. But there's not room for division. Matter of fact, division can go take a hike and suck an egg. You can disagree here. You can even disagree with me. I disagree with me sometimes. You can join the club. Take a number. But nevertheless, what we find is that when we agree on verses 4 through 6 we're going to get into, in just a moment, y'all bear with me. When we get into that, we're going to find that that's where our unity lies. Not our uniformity. Because that's not what we're looking for. You know what? Matter of fact, uniformity, you know when that's going to come? Not on this side of the grave. It ain't going to happen anyways until we've got a glorified body and we are with the Lord. Nevertheless, we roll on here. I want to give you a little quote from M.R. Dahan. He once said, We need not all agree, but if we disagree, let us not be disagreeable in our disagreements. I like that. We can disagree, but we don't need to be disagreeable about it. Amen? That's quite all right. It's okay to disagree. It's not so okay to be disagreeable. Okay? Now, furthermore, we see these key ingredients in verses 2 and 3 of what it means to cultivate unity. First of all, notice all of these. They go right hand in hand together. Lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, and forbearing one another in love. First of all, lowliness. All lowliness is the idea here. He says, with all lowliness, that means a complete and total humility in all things. Now, here, who's the most humble? Okay, that was a test. We were going to out you real quick there. (laughs) Amen. Praise the Lord. Humility, though. The idea that all of our Christian life, personally and privately, it ought to be humble. Why? Because I am only saved because God is gracious to save. I am only saved because of the mercy of chapter 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians thus far that has shown me now who I am and what I possess in Christ Jesus. It's because of God. Now, what else do we see? That ought to cause personal lowliness. Now, lowliness is not Eeyore-ness. That's not a word, but y'all know who Eeyore is? Everything is bad. It's just bad day. It's too, it's too sunny. It's just too sunny out there. The songs were too sweet today. There's always somebody that can find something to complain about, but don't be that person. What we find is that unity in the body, what it does is it causes to have lowliness. Lowliness is not a constantly punching yourself in the gut, but rather a humility of bowing ourselves down before the Lord and even before one another. Philippians 2 says to let each other esteem, better, uh, let, uh, let each other esteem others better than himself. That's what the body does. That's lowliness. We find then meekness. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness means to be gentle, and to be emotionally disciplined and under control. If you fly off the handle and you say things like, well, I just tell it like it is, or I just say it the way I feel, or I, I, just, I just say it regardless of the consequences, I don't care, I'm just going to tell you what I think, that's not meekness, that's pride. That's not godliness. Yes, you can help it. How do I know? That he would grant according to you the riches of his glory to be strengthened with his might by his spirit in the inner man. There's your answer. The Lord does a work in you to take that out. But you've you got to yield to Him. Furthermore, we see meekness being gentle with one another, emotionally under control, long-suffering. Y'all, you know what that means? That means patient and self-restraining. 
meaning the opposite of that is to promote oneself, lift oneself up, and it means as well to not be patient with nobody else, meaning, I wish they could figure out this Christian thing over here because that side is really lacking, or I wish that thing would get their stuff together, or I wish this ministry would get it together, and everybody ain't got it together except for you, and that is not lowliness, it is not meekness, and it is certainly not long-suffering. This, this is, it is, it is not patience. And what else does he say? Forbearing one another in love. Notice that all these things are done by faith and humility and the two go hand in hand. The two are the same. That is the personal Christian life. That's what the life of a Christian is to look like. It's to be the marks of a Christian and it's to be the marks of a Christian church because there is no true church that is not Christian. Forbearing one another in love, it means to live and to work together in love. You ain't got to like everybody, but you better love them. You know why? Because if you are in Christ, you're going to be in heaven with them one day, and every problem that you got with them, one day God's going to fix. Because He's going to fix the problems that they got with you. Because you got them too. And I got them too. And then some. Try living with me. I heard that. <laughs> I want to give you Puritan Richard Baxter. He's once said, in necessary things, unity. Notice this, in necessary things, unity. In doubtful things, liberty. In all things, charity. That's the church. That's unity. Furthermore, what we see is this idea of personal humility, and he says then, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. Notice we already have the spirit in the bond of peace but now it is your choice and my choice to endeavor to keep it that way. Notice we're not creating it or trying to obtain it. We're just trying to keep it honed. We're trying to keep it cultivated. You will be as united to the church as you desire to be, and the church will be as united as they desire to be. And if we say we want to be a united church, then we had better humble ourselves before the Lord our God, before Christ, who is the head of the body. We better humble ourselves before one another, and we may as well go ahead and just get to loving each other. Christians must guard and protect our unity of the Spirit through the peace that Christ has purchased and provided. We've already seen this back in chapter 2 of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 14. Uh, I'll read verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Now, sometimes we view these verses as between us and God. But if you look at the context of chapter 2, who's it dealing with? It was the Jews and the Gentiles. And he says, there's one body now. He says, there is one church, one fold, one shepherd of that fold. That's it. He's made us together and brought us together, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make himself of twain one new man, so making peace. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body, by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. For through Him both we both have access by one Spirit, we've seen that over and over, unto the Father. We've seen that we need to cultivate unity, but now we consider what our unity lies upon. Verses 4-6 through six here. Verse 4-6. through six. Each one of these could be a sermon on its own, but it's not going to be today, right? If y'all listen quick, I'll preach quick. And we've got to consider the unity that the believer and the church have in Christ. And as we do this, we see that this is our present reality and our personal responsibility to maintain. 
Y'all ever heard of Smokey the Bear? Y'all know what he says? Only you can prevent. Dear church member, only you can prevent church fires. Matter of fact, it's our job to make sure that we stamp it out before it ever gets a blazing. It's not our job to go, did you hear so-and-so, what so-and-so said, and did you see how so-and-so was here, and now they're not here, and then they came back, and then did you hear what they said, and see how they acted? Nope, not our job. Our job is to live in unity and to snuff these things out. Why? Because a little fire goes an awful long way. The only fire that we need is not of the gossip and the sinfulness we need, we need revival of fire. We need to be purified before God. That's what we need. And it's not going to happen through all these worldly things that we bring into the church. We poison our own body. We allow infection in our own body. Now here's these things that show us our unity as we consider this now, verse 4-6. through six. We're going to break it down one by one. First of all, there is one body. How many bodies are there? One. How many bodies? Okay, so y'all got that down. There is one body. There is one true church of God. But this also means that this local church is in union with other local churches throughout the world that even don't look like us, act like us, and smell like us, but they believe what we're about to read. They are trusting in the same gospel. They are united to the same Christ, as we're going to see here in just a moment. We are part of that one body, and I want you to know this. You and I sometimes, we, we understand this. We can't fathom what heaven's going to be like. I don't have a clue. If there's ever anything that a pastor gets questions about, it's preacher, pastor, what's heaven like? What's a glorified Bible? I'm like, I don't know. I ain't got one, right? I don't know. I'd love to know. We're going to know. One of the beautiful things about heaven is not so much that I'm going to have a glorified body and I'm going to look even better than I look now, all that stuff. No. One of the most beautiful things about heaven is not just that I'm going to be there with my Lord. That is the most beautiful thing, by the way. But that there I will be apart forever and forever with the body never separated again. Did you know this? That right now you've got brothers and sisters that you don't even know about, never seen, never will see, never gotten to worship with. I love seeing videos and missionaries and stuff of folks who are gathered together in third world countries and they're worshiping in huts and they're singing and they're dancing, and they're clapping, and they're worshiping the Lord, and I ain't got a clue what they're saying. You know why? Because one day I will. It ain't going to be here. It's going to be in heaven, and I'm going to worship right alongside with them, and it will be like I've known them my whole life. That's what the unity of the Spirit of bond of Christ does, the Spirit of peace does for us. That is what it means. We have one body. The church is one, and each believer, every believer, No matter who you are, where you are, every believer possesses the same privileges and rights there too. There is not one body better than the other because there is only one body. And that means this. God might be adding numerically to a church up the road, but that does not mean that He does not care about this. It means that He does care. He's building it a little bit different or a little bit slower. That just means He's taking His time with us. I'm just fine with that. What we find is that we are one body. Each individual is a member of that body. We are united to Christ and in Christ with one another and there is no dividing the body. 
Now, yes, there are schisms. Yes, there are church splits. And yes, there's division. But you know what? That does not come from the Lord. He unites. He brings us together. And at the end of the day, no matter how many times a church has split, those that are true believers are a part of the one true church which can never be split because they are united in Christ. They are part of the body. And you will not separate the head of the body from His body. Christ is not going to be separated from His church. Christ cares about this church. Christ loves this church more than you do and I ever could. Christ cares about this body. So what do we do with this idea? There is one body. Here's the application for us. There is one body, so be one. Be in union with this body all the way. Second, there is one Spirit. Notice once more, capitalized. We've seen one spirit already mentioned uh, a dozen times in the book of Ephesians. Why? Because the Christian life is not so much about the outward work that you and I do, but rather the inward work of the Spirit of God within the life of the believer. To unite us together in Christ and with Christ and with one another and to empower the inner man to be obedient by faith to God, to His Word. It is a Holy Spirit that unites us to Christ and the church from our salvation to the moment that we see glory. It is the Spirit of God who does a work in the church, through the church, for the church, within your heart, within my heart. And you ever notice how wonderful it is that Christ is always at work through the power of the Spirit of God. He's working in your life. He's working in my life. And and He works at different times and spaces and places. But yet He's always at work unifying and bringing us together. He enlightens and empowers the believer through the Word to be united to Christ, to be united to the church, to be united to the body. So what do we do with the fact that there is one Spirit? Know this. The same Holy Spirit that I have is the same Holy Spirit that you have. And because I have the Holy Spirit, the third person of the triune God, indwelling and abiding within me, you don't have to be my Holy Spirit, and I don't have to be yours. Praise God. You know why? Because I can't be and you can't be. But what else does this mean? It means an application for this, but the fact that we have one Spirit, it means that we're to be obedient. The Spirit does not lead you outside of a unity with Christ and union with the church. The Spirit of God will not lead you onto places that are not preaching the Word. The Spirit of God will not lead you to places where there is not unity. The Spirit of God will not lead you places where you are not going to be used and serving a purpose. The Spirit of God brings you closer in union to the family and body of Christ. Will you be obedient or not? Third, we find the one hope. One hope. He says there is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. What is this one hope? As we talked about in the Bible, and as most of us know, if you've been in church any length of time, you know that hope here is the idea of our confidence, our trust in the Lord, specifically that of a future. We know this, that the same Holy Spirit that indwells us now is going to seal us and has already sealed us under the day of redemption. What is that day of redemption? That's the day that Christ calls us out of here. That's the day we put off this flesh and we put on uh, immortality, that, that we put on incorruption, that we leave this world behind. We have the same confidence and the same hopeful future with Christ. So that means every believer in here today, whether you're struggling or not struggling, if the Lord called us out of here right now, you've got the same hope that I've got, the same confidence I've got, the same assurance I've got, the same Lord that I've got, the same body that I've got. It's the Lord's work. 
It means as well that we are to be confident in our redemption and His promised return, but as well as 1 Thessalonians tells us that we are to comfort one another with these words, comfort one another with the hope of the, the coming of Christ, comfort one another with the fact that Christ is coming again. It ought to not uh, make uh, shivers come down your spine, but rather a smile to your face to know that Christ is coming for His body and bride. Not only do we see that we have one hope, but what that means by way of application is that we are to be faithful and assured of our confidence in Him and our possessions in Christ. We also see then, he goes on in verse 5, one Lord. Notice here, the one Lord is not the pastor, the deacons, trustees, and it's not even the people. There is one Lord over the church, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is the Lord and the head of the body, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 says, And He hath put all things under his, under his feet and gave Him to be the head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. That's what Christ does. He is the Lord. Many of us today, here, here let's notice this. You want to know how you become a part of the church, the body of Christ? You need to trust Him as Savior. And as you trust Him as your Savior, you know what happens? You begin to learn that He's Lord as well. And as you yield by faith to the Spirit that works within us, to the body of Christ and all that Christ has done for us, what we find is this, that we find out that He is the Lord of our life. The issue with most Christians today is not that they don't know that Jesus is Savior, it's that they don't know that He's Lord, they're not surrendered to Him as Lord. Most of our problems in the church and out of the church would go plumb away if we yielded to the Lord our God and the leading of the Spirit of God, that one Spirit. The Christian and the church must be yielded in unity to the Lord Jesus. So today, you want to know who makes the rules and the decisions in the church? The Lord, because it's His. You know who we have to consult for everything that we do in this church together? The Lord, because it's His church and He's the Lord over it. He's the Lord who has all authority over His church. We belong to Him. He bought us he builds us, and He makes us belong to Him and together. Only do we see one Lord, but one faith. One faith in what? You see, faithfulness here is the idea not of uh, missing out and just having some sort of blind faith, but rather it's a faith in the proper object. Who's the object of faith? Christ the Lord. The one Lord. The one who's coming. The one who's given us His Spirit. Our faith in the Gospel the fundamentals and the foundational truths revealed in the Scriptures, that is our faith here. In the immediate context of understanding what our faith would look like and is to look like and is built upon is Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, and Ephesians 3. So if you want to know what your faith should look like and you want to know what your faith is built upon, you want to know what founds your faith, Ephesians 1, 2, 3. Matter of fact, you could even sum it up by this. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That's our one faith right there. It is Christ alone. Furthermore, Jude 3 tells us this, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. We ought to fight the good fight of faith. We ought not fight the faithful. We ought not fight the ones who had the same faith that we've got. 
but rather we fight together the enemy who comes against us day in and day out. We fight the wolves when they come in. We fight the devil when he comes creeping in. And we fight that old flesh of ours that likes to rear its ugly head. What's the next one? One baptism. Now here you can go off on a couple different places. But I want you to know, first of all, we have to understand that for the believer, you are only a believer if there is, first of all, baptism of the Spirit. What is that? That's regeneration. That is what this means in Ephesians chapter 2. And you, if he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation times past, and the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, but God, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love worth he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace ye are saved. We find this idea of spirit baptism being the moment of your salvation. He comes to indwell you. He's not waiting for a time period to see if you really meant it. If you are saved, you are sealed under the day of redemption by the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. You are baptized by the Spirit of God. And so to our charismatic friends, we're not awaiting a new baptism of the Spirit. If you're saved, you have already been baptized by the Spirit of God and dwelt by the Spirit of God, and you're not awaiting some sort of fresh sign from Him. He points us to the Word over and over again. He points us to Christ over and over again. The moment of our salvation, we see this baptism. It is the requirement to be a member of the body. You must be saved in order to be a part of the body. You can go to a local church and not be saved. You can be a member of a church and not be saved. You can have us fooled all day long, but you will not have God fooled. You are either baptized by the Spirit of God or you are lost. And you are not a true member of the true church of God. Second, and you understand this idea of water baptism. What's that for? First of all, it's not in order to be saved, but it is because you are saved. That means this. That thief on the cross who didn't get baptized, was he saved? Every bit of it, just as much as I ever run. Now here's what we've got to understand. The idea of water baptism, what is it for? Just like the Lord's Supper, it is to remind us of the Gospel and it is to unite us to Christ and to unite us with His church, the body of Christ. So what we find is that this baptism that we are being un- we are showing forth our union with Christ and with His church, that we belong to Jesus, and to belong to Jesus means that we belong to His church, that we are united and identify completely in His death, His burial, His resurrection. Now that is a requirement to be a member of this local church. You need both of those things, by the way. To be a member here of Victory Baptist Church, you need to be saved and baptized. Identify with Christ and identify with His church. Anyone who's truly saved will gladly do so. Furthermore, what else do we see? Not only our identity, but we see that we have one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Now notice we talked about this last week. This is not talking about universal fatherhood. Who's He the Father to? Those whom He has adopted and saved by the precious work and blood of Jesus Christ. That's what we've seen in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 so far. It certainly makes sense that He would continue on that theme in, verse, in chapter 4. But notice the, notice the details of what it means where we see that we have one God and Father. First of all, He says above all. You know why? Because He's above all. God alone is sovereign and supreme over all folks, over all things, and especially His church. Every bit of it. 
Now, here's what happens to us in the church, and here's how we start to divide ourselves up. We like to divide ourselves up over how sovereign is God. He is. And that's it. That means He is over His church and has all authority over His church, not us and not the pastor. Christ alone. He is above it all. Supreme over His people. But notice, how does God sovereignly work? Through all. Who's the all? Those who are part of the church. So here's what happens. Here's how we divide our little local bodies all the time. We get this group over here that meets down the road and they say, well, we're going to emphasize God's sovereignty. And then we get another group over here and they say, well, we're going to emphasize man's choice. And here's what we find. God is sovereign and sovereignly works through His people. Notice, He is not merely above all and orchestrating like some sort of methodical robot who is cynical and manipulating all of your decisions. No, my friend, that's not sovereignty. Sovereignty is working, as we talked about this past Wednesday night, His providence, His providential plan through the giving of His power to His people, through the working of the Holy Spirit of God, uniting us to Him and uniting us to one another so that we would obey Him and display His power and His glory to the world as we trust Him. Through all means that God operates His will through the working of each member and specifically, He works through each member in the local church. You are not your own church. I am not my own church. We are the church together. Through all. Then he says, in you all. Because you want to know what the power of the church is? The presence of God. You, know, you want to know why the church gathers? The presence of God. You want to know what holds all these things together? The presence of God. You want to know where God dwells amongst His people? In His people. The indwelling Holy Spirit. Why would we come to this place today if we didn't think God was here? Why would we read our Bible if we didn't think that God was speaking? God in you all, present with each believer and in His church. So that means this, dear believer. Dear believer, I want you to understand this. God is not just here when you come to church. The Lord is with you when you go home. And that ought to change everything for our life. It ought to encourage us. It ought to convict us. It ought to motivate us. It ought to empower us. And all these things. To know that God is with us. And what does He do? He is present with you to bring you present in unity with the rest of the body. Why? Because He's just as much there too. We find that one day, His whole body will be fitly joined together once and for all with Christ in His presence. And that is the theme and goal and motivation of time and eternity that we would know the presence of God forever and forever. But the only ones that will know His presence in such a way that way are not those who are church members, but those who are members of His church. Those who have been born again by grace through faith and Christ alone. Today this shows us as well, and this will build on to the rest of it as we get into it in the next few weeks, that God desires not merely to make a body that is united, but He desires to work through His church as a ministry and as well to mature His body to completion. 
And that day is coming. As we bring this to a close today, I ask you first of all, are you a member of the true church of God? Have you been born again? Are you truly saved today? Not have you been baptized, not are you a church member, but have you repented of your sins and trusted Christ alone? Are you a member of the true church of God? Furthermore, I ask you today, not only are you united to Christ in your salvation, but are you united to His church in your sanctification? God desires to sanctify you through the local church. Are you united to her or are you merely on the outskirts? Are you merely skirting the edges? Are you merely a, a, a hangnail on the body? Are you merely just clinging on and just going, well, I'm a part of the body? Or are you actually a part? Are you engaging with the body of Christ? Let me ask you today, do you endeavor to cultivate and to keep unity? Or right now, are you bringing about division? Your attitude and your trust in the Lord and your heart and the way in which we live and operate in the private and public life of our, of our Christian lives, we are either bringing and cultivating unity or we are cultivating division. Which one are we cultivating here? Have you united yourself to the church? Are you walking unworthy or worthy as a member of of Christ's church. I encourage you today, unite yourself to the body of Christ. See the beauty of Christ's church and that He has made us to be united together with Him, together with one another in Him. Let's all stand this morning. This all